Welcome to the vault where you can find the code to unlock your success. In this space, I invite real, inspiring and successful experts. We have eye-opening conversations about the way to reach your highest potential in life and in business. We will cover the mastery of mindset, energy, emotions, transformation, sales, marketing, thriving in business without losing your authenticity and balance. Hi, I'm Sonia Martinovic and host of The Vault, an entrepreneur, mindset mastery and online business coach with an obsession on real transformation. I'm on a mission to help entrepreneurs and other influencers master the mindset and build a successful and impactful business. Do you want to break free from your limitations and express your truest self in business and in life? Is growth your game and success your aim? Then you are in the right place. Welcome to the vault. Let's start cracking your code. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you want more training on how to leverage your time and to create peak energy to up-level your high performance in business and in life, I invite you to join us in the Facebook community, The Victorious Coach Collective. You can find the link in the show notes. And last but not least, have a very happy new year and create it to be the best year ever. And welcome to a new episode of The Vault. And today I'm excited because today with me, I have Philip Khan Pani, and he is a wordsmith. He's an expert in verbal communication. So this is super important. If you have a business, if you have a team, you want to bring a message across or you want to speak or give a presentation that makes impact. He's an active member of Toastmasters International, and he's probably won more speeches and contents than anybody in Europe. He's a founder and honorary fellow of the Professional Speaking Associate of Britain and Ireland and author of over a dozen of books, 13, I think, mostly on communication skills. With working background, sales and direct marketing, he started his training business in 1994, focusing on telling the right story in business and telling it well. He retired in Ireland in 2016 and lived with his wife, Nas, near Dublin. Welcome, Philip, to the show. Hello. Thank you so much for being here. And I'm super excited because we had a chat before we started recording the interview. And I said, Philip, I think this is amazing. We should start recording and getting this value out there. So, but before we start, please tell us how, what is your story? What brought you up to doing this amazing work that you're doing today? Well, I had a background in sales. And in doing sales, in selling, I soon discovered that my approach to selling was different from everybody else. In my mid-twenties, I was selling management consultancy. And it, it was a very simple process. We would, the company would go in and do a, an initial survey of the strengths and weaknesses of a company for a low cost. And then we're invited to implement those recommendations and they would charge the standard management consultancy fees. Now, everyone on the sales force focused on selling that initial low cost survey. Everyone except me. I had a completely different approach, and my conversion rate was 89%. 89%. When I was telling the story to a, a sales group the other day, and uh, a young man who happened to be a champion sa salesman in his own area came up to me and said, let me shake the hand of a man who had made 9% conversion. <laughs> and here's how I did it. I can remember the very first sale I made, it was to the managing director of a plastic manufacturing company not far from London. 
Now, he liked the idea that I put to him. He liked the, the concept. And he said, let me think about it. So I pulled out my wallet and I said, is your business perfect? He said, no business is perfect. So I said, what if you could see what it cost you when somebody makes a mistake in production? What if you could see what it costs you when people don't turn up about? What if you could see what it costs you for all the inefficiencies that may exist in your company and but which you take for out and leave sort themselves out? And I carried on talking. He wasn't listening. So I stopped and I said, what would you like me to do? He said, pick up that money. <laughs> yes, but if that was your money, wouldn't you want me to come along and help you pick it up? You got the point. Yeah. So what did I do? What had I done? I had enabled him to visualize what it was costing him not to put right the things that were wrong in his business. Now, that approach was completely different from the other approach that all the others were taking. So as I continued in my sales career, I found that I was, I was good at making presentations. I wanted to teach other people how to make better presentations. So I went into, into advertising and I was working in Fleet Street and newspapers and things. And I set up sales promotion department in one of the major newspapers. And I carried on this kind of thinking. And I had a change of career and I became a copywriter. I was a senior copywriter at Reader's Digest for eight years. And I was using the same kind of thinking in all the work. Everything I did, the written word, the spoken word, was all about this approach to helping people to understand what it is that will make them do what I'm promoting. And in 1994, a friend of mine was, who was president of an American company, came over and he was staying with me in, in, in London. He said to me one day, listen, old friend, why don't you just do that training company that you've been talking about? There and then, I went into my study and I wrote some training modules, printed them out, gave them to him. And he said, these are terrific. Why don't you just do it? And eight weeks later, I was in business. I started off calling up advertising agencies and saying, this is me, would you like some? And uh, so the very first sale I made of my training program was again, the magic director of a medium-sized advertising agency. And he was being a little bit resistant. And I realized he was considering giving me the business or somebody else between the two of us. So I said, I thought to myself, I've got to do something. So I, <laughs> I said, Stand up. He said, what? I said, stand up. He's what eight feet tall. Anyway, he stood up and I did a little exercise with him there and then, which transformed a part of the way in which he projected himself. And he said, wow, yeah, I've got to give you the work. On another occasion, I was presenting to a, a panel of people in a large government-sponsored organization. And the same thing, I thought, I'm in a beauty parade. I've got to do something different. So I said, Give me a journal of something that I've never seen before. So they handed me a journal. I opened it and I read from the page there as though I had written it myself. Wow. Because I have a technique of being able to grab something off the page and deliver it as though I had written it myself. Never seen that before. If you can do that, you can, you can teach us things. So do you see what I'm saying? I, the root of all of this is to help people to understand the significance of what is happening and to find a different way, something unexpected, to do something differently from what they may have expected. Okay? So, and all boiled down eventually, somebody said to me, basically, what are you trying to put across to people? And I said, I want people to understand how to put across the right message. And to do that, first of all, they have to understand 
what their right message is. And secondly, they need to develop the skills to put that across. I can help them to do both of them. First of all, to understand what their real message is. And secondly, how to put that across in a persuasive way. Exactly. So, so what would you say, Philip, that is that part of the message or story? How do you begin getting the right message and the right story out there? Okay. I can answer that by, by first addressing what is not, what the right message is not. The right message is not what you do. It is about why you do what you do. Okay. Now, I'm going to give you two examples. One which relates to individual people and the other which relates to companies. In relation to people, if I were to meet you at a business event and ask you, what do you do? And if you start telling me all the things that you do, within 30 seconds, I will be bored. My eyes will be rolling in my head. But I'll be looking for rescue. I'm sure you've been in many situations. Yes. <laughs> you don't tell me anymore. Stop it. <laughs> right. Okay. On one occasion, as I said, there was a lady I, I met in, in, in the Bali meetings, and she, I said, tell me what business you in. She pinned me to the wall, and she spoke to me for three minutes without taking a breath about how she did, who she was, what she did, and so forth. And I thought to myself, this lady needs some help. So what's the answer in that situation? You need to have a 15 or 16-second elevated speech which most people misunderstand the purpose of an elevator speech is not to tell people everything that you do. It is simply to get people to say, tell me more. That is all. Why is it called an elevator speech? Because that is the average time to go from the ground floor to the first floor, about 15 seconds. That is all the time you have. If somebody meets you in a business contact in the elevator, if you haven't said enough in 15 seconds for them to say, tell me more, they're going to get out, okay? So vital to have a 15-second elevator speech that follows the rules of selling. And I'll come back to that later if you like. In business, in business, the message is not about what you do. The message is always about why you do it. Let me show you this as an example. I came across an IT company once more. Can you see that all right? Yes, I can. I came across an IT company one, one time who called themselves the infrastructure company. That was their, their, their stuff life. And they said they took great pride in providing the IT and the infrastructure for all these major companies like airlines and retail chains and so on. And that's why they called themselves the infrastructure company. And I said, hang on a minute. You're satisfying one person in each of those cloud companies, the IT director. But those client companies are not in the business of providing IT. They are in the business of using IT in order to fulfill these transactions with customers like you and me. That is their purpose in business. And your function, your purpose should not be to focus on providing IT. Your purpose should be to focus on enabling the client companies to do their business. Does that make sense, sure? Absolutely. Yeah. So I say to businesses, so put aside for a moment what you do and ask yourself, how does that help your client companies? That is the reason why you are in business. If you are, for example, if you're a manufacturer, you're in business to enable retailers to meet customer demand. If you're an IT provider, you are in business to enable efficient customer transactions. If you're a motor dealer, your purpose is to, to create and satisfy lifestyle dreams. And if you're a 
speaker or consultant and so on, your purpose is to equip listeners with the skills and the incentives to improve their lives or improve their businesses. Focus always on how you will help your listeners or your customers to do their business. Exactly. So think about the client of the clients too. So how will you help them, enable them to help their clients better? Yeah. So is there a specific order into an elevator pitch? Because an elevator pitch, sometimes it's hard to do it in 15 seconds, right? Oh, go try me out. Ask me, what do I do? So what do you, could you tell what you do in an elevator pitch? Just as an example. No, just ask me, what, what do you do? What do you do, Philip? You know how some people are scared stiff about speaking in public? Yes. <laughs> and others make presentations that are really boring. Yeah. It means they don't give the best account of themselves. But I help them speak in public without fear and in a way that makes others want to listen to. Very interesting. Normally when you have pitch, and I make kind of jokes about this, you know, Philip, as you know, somebody just pitch slapped me. <laughs> like, I don't know this person and I just got pitch slapped. So right away a pitch. And it's interesting how you integrated questions into your pitch instead of making it a one-way, one-way communication and just putting as much words as possible in 15 seconds, trying to make an impact on someone. Shall I deconstruct it for you? Yes, please. And our audience would it's really a sales pitch. It. Yeah. It's a sales pitch. Every time you talk about yourself or your business, it's a sales pitch. Yeah. You want your listener to accept, to understand and accept what you're saying. Yep. So you have to follow the rules of selling. In the rules of selling, you first start by establishing common ground. So when I said, you know how some people are scared stiff about speaking in public? And I was waiting for you to respond. And most people would simply, yeah, I can relate to that. And others make presentations that are really boring. Have you ever sat through a boring presentation? Yes. So now we've established common ground because now you know, you, I placed you in, 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 a, in two contexts that you can relate to. Okay. And, you can, and then I say, what a shame. I don't criticize them. I simply, what a shame. I say, it means that they don't give the best account of themselves. Only then am I allowed to say that I provide the solution. Yeah. And listen to how I provide the solution. I help people to speak in public without fear. Tell me who wouldn't like to be able to do that. Yeah. And in a way that makes others want to listen to them. Tell me who wouldn't like to have that. Yeah. Okay. One of the purposes. My, my purpose is simply to get somebody to say, hey, tell me more. It could be that you're not in my market. Mm. You simply say, oh, that's very interesting. And you move on. That's okay. That's okay. At least I haven't bored you. Yeah. Do you see? So, yeah. so that is the structure of an elevator speech. You, 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 you follow the rules of selling. You establish common ground. You get involvement. You ask questions so that you get some kind of response. If you get no response, just move away. But if you get response... Then you can move the energy along because in all selling, it's about some kind of energy flow that you can help to massage towards a planned outcome. Yeah. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Okay. So that's what I do. That's the business I'm in. Yeah. And I love that. It's really creating an elevator pitch from different angles. So I have a background in sales. I've been in sales for over two decades, as many of my listeners know, and some <laughs> may not know, but it is definitely different from the way that it's overall taught everywhere. 
you know, and you do, of course, you have the sales conversations while, you, while and you build rapport and you build common ground. But this, the, using the elevator pitch to do the same is really amazing. I think it could be very beneficial for anybody implementing that in networking, implementing that maybe even when starting a presentation. Yeah. So let's talk about starting a presentation. So it can be a speech, but it can also be a presentation towards your team because you are the CEO or you're someone who is leading a team and wants to influence them and persuade them into a specific direction for the best outcome. So what would you say, how would you captivate someone at the start of a presentation? Is it in a similar way? No. First of all, the first thing to understand about presentation, about any communication, is that communication is not about transmission. It's about the way it's perceived and understood. There have been numerous examples of business leaders who have come a cropper because they thought they all they have to do is to stand up and speak and everyone will applaud them and so forth. Now, you remember General Ratner, string of jewelry shops, and he stood up at a meeting one day and he said something about the earrings that his, he was selling in the shops. He said, they don't have the same lifetime as a Marks and Spencer's prawn sandwich. The consequence of that was the total collapse of his business. Mm. He insulted his customers. Someone called Matt Barrett, former CEO of Barclays Bank, and he said, I'm amazed that he said this. He said he has discouraged his own children from using credit cards, and he said Barclays card is too expensive. Wow. There was someone, <laughs> called, there was someone called David Shepard, who was the, I think he was the CEO top man, and he called his customers hooligans. Four to five percent of the value of his company shares out the window. That's because of that. Now, the, the power of communication. <laughs> absolutely. So, so yes, communication isn't about the transmission. It's about the way it's received and understood. So, that's your starting point. Now, let me take you back to what I was saying about the elevator speech, that you, it's a sales pitch. A presentation is a sales pitch. Yeah. In a sales pitch, your starting point has always got to be to establish common ground. Implicit in that is the need to capture the attention of your audience, your audience okay? But there is a sequence you do to follow. The sequence of persuasion is very, very simple. It's well-known, long-established, and it's called AIDA. Oh, the marketing model. Okay, yeah. and the initial stand for attention, interest, desire, action. It works like this. You have to assume that at the beginning, your audience, your listeners, are not terribly interested in what you have to say. If they were, they'd be coming looking for you. So you have to raise their interest to a minimum level I call the buying level, okay? So there's somewhere between zero and the buying level. You've got to say or do something that grabs their attention and frequently, you know what I did with the throwing the money on the floor? Yeah. That, that, that's one, one identify. I use, if you like, gimmicks like that all the time. And that grabs people's attention. They go, oh, that's a bit different. Now they're paying attention. Their interest has written, risen sharply. You have another job to do. You've got to tell them more to build up their interest by relating all the elements of your pitch, relating to the benefits that they will derive, tying on the benefits, tying on the benefits, okay? Think of it like, like parents in one pan, if they're a pile of money, okay? And if they're heavy, 
pile of money. And the other pile is up here and it's too light. You've got to put stuff in there, benefits in there, so that it comes out until eventually the benefits weigh more than the pile of money. Okay? Then it makes sense. Yeah. Okay? So you have to pile all the benefits by relating all the features in a way. You take them well past the buying level so that they, when you eventually have to re reveal the cost, if their interest falls slightly, it doesn't fall too low, you can reinforce it and then kick it up. And then you have to tell them what to do. Too many people make a presentation, they get their prospect interested in it, and they are afraid of the rejection. So they fail to ask for the order. Yeah, that's so common. I saw that so many times. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay, so the structure of a presentation, therefore, is you start off by saying something unexpected. You say or do something unexpected in order to grab their attention. And then you take them from there to the connection between what you just said, Dullin said, to the connection with your proposition. And then you ask questions in order to engage them in the trust. It's a dialogue. It must not be a monologue. It must be a dialogue. Even if they actually say nothing, if you ask the kind of questions that they can answer in their minds, they feel it's a dialogue. Does that make sense? Yeah, and you told a little bit about them visualizing something. You want them to visualize something. Yes. Maybe you can throw that into what you're saying too. Yeah. So you, you always enable people to visualize not only what it is you're proposing, but how it will benefit them. Mm. That can bring about to them and their processes. What's the purpose of a speech or presentation? I frequently ask this question and I get an amazing array of answers. And there really is only one direct answer. And that is to make change in the thinking attitude or behavior of your listeners. You need to know what change you want to bring about. If that change is to get an order, fine, that's the change. If the change is to make some change in their thinking, that may take a little longer. But at least if they leave the room thinking, ah, I've just learned something I didn't know before, that's a success. So be clear in your mind what change you want to bring about and work towards achieving that. How will you know that you achieve your goal? You have to ask. You have to ask. You have to show people what to do to implement your proposition. If you don't tell them that, if you leave it to them, you wasted your time and then theirs. So you have to use the time carefully. Now, what is the biggest destroyer of presentations. Bad slides. Oh, slides. slides. For example. <laughs> yeah. I was coaching the directors of a major bank in Brussels. They were going to have their first ever presentation to, to customers and clients. And they prepared this elaborate all the major directors were going to produce one after the other. And they yeah. walked me over from London to coach them. And the first man up was the, the vice chairman. He came along and he had his team with him and they put up the slides. And he started. When they got to slide number three, I said, please stop. Who made this slide? And it was his deputy that said, oh, I did that slide. I said, it's a very elaborate slide. It, it's a very complex slide. It requires a high level of understanding of your subject matter. Would you agree? He said, oh, yes. 
I said, how long, how many years did it take you to become as expert as you are? And he said, oh, seven years in education and then so many years working. And then I said, right. And how long is this presentation? He said, 40 minutes. I said, and in 40 minutes, you want to make your audience as expert as you have become after seven years of education and so many more years to work. No, of course, I'm not saying that. But the only way to understand that slide, to have your level of expertise. Oh, I'm not so sure. He said. I said, and there's one more thing. You're going to humiliate me, yeah? I said, no. <laughs> but at all, I handed him a book. I said, could you very kindly read that page? And read, read silently. And at the end of it, I want you to be able to summarize that for me in one or two sentences. Could you think you could do that? He said, oh, yes. We started to read. And then I said, while you're doing that, I want you to listen carefully to what I'm saying, because I also want you to be able to summarize what I'm saying in a, thing, in a single sentence or two. And he stopped and he said, I, I cannot do it. I said, well, no one can. No one can read and listen at the same time. Yeah. And that is what you, isn't that, I said, isn't that what you are expecting your audience to do? To look at that graph, that slide, all the graphs and things, to look at that, to read it, understand it, and listen to the presentation at the same time. Isn't that what you're asking them to do? It's that I never realized that. I never realized that. That's the simplest way to explain to people why bad slides get in the way. Yeah, absolutely. I have a friend yeah. called Dave Henson, and he's written a book called Your Slides Suck. <laughs> I was going to know Oh, I love that title. <laughs> it makes everything clear. <laughs> so... That, that's amazing. And what would you say how to keep an attention? Let's say that you're going to speak or you want to become a speaker and you grab that interest, right? And you ha have them at the buying level. And how do you keep the attention till the end of the presentation that you're not using slides? <laughs> so how do you feel? What are some tips that you can give to really keep attention? And the, okay. the, yeah. the one thing that grabbed everybody's attention is a story. Now, Americans have a saying, the American speakers have a saying, make a point, tell a story. Tell a story, make a point. So I use stories all the time. As you know, in, the, in this little conversation between you and me now, I told you two or three stories, but actual events that have taken place, but I've made them relevant. They have been relevant to the point I'm trying to make. And haven't they helped you to understand what I'm trying to say and to illustrate yeah. what I'm trying to say? So if you do this, if you have, a, you, if you plan a sequence and you, it's not necessary to write a presentation and learn it by heart, it is not necessary at all. But what you should do is to have a planned structure, a sequence. Yeah. It's up to a certain point. Okay. So if you tell a story, what is the point you're trying to make and how is that relevant to your message? And as, as you've noticed from time to time, I ask you, does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Because I want you to, I want you to acknowledge that what I've said is meaningful to you. Yeah. If you don't, if you don't get it, you simply say, no, I, I didn't quite get it, then I have to go back and explain it again. Okay. So that is the way in which you hold people's attention, but you have to have stories to put into them. And all the best motivation speakers in America, and they are, their presentations are full of stories. Absolutely. Yeah, they have very, fairly commonplace messages but the way the energy that they put into them and the stories that they tell, which are 
personal to themselves. They, they that's what grabs people, and to the extent that they can tell the same stories right. and over again. <laughs> and in some cases, if they tell the story differently, someone in the audience will say, no, "Hang on a minute, that's not what you said the last time." Yes, exactly. You have people, you know, who are very famous and big speakers who repeat the messages over and over again. So, kind of, if you went and visited a couple of listened to in a couple of times you know the story by heart <laughs> as yeah. always now what would you say that one of your most important or one of the speakers that you really admire and why oh Les, Les, Les Brown Les Brown yes tell me why Les Brown I mean a friend, love of mine, friend of mine who was in the who was in the insurance business went to the million dollar round table in America which is for Insurance people who have done very well. And quite illegally, he recorded, he tape recorded the Neil Brown speech. And he came back and he lent me the cassette. He said, listen to this. And I listened to it and I thought, wow, fantastic energy. I loved it to bits. I played it over. And then why did I like it? I liked it because of the high energy. Yeah. I liked it because he was totally unpretentious. I liked it because I liked his own story, life story the way he got to where he was, how he started and came from a poor background and he cocked things up and he got things all wrong and he had to almost reinvent himself and he ended up making $55 million from public mm -hmm. speaking. And uh, when I launched the Professional Speaking Association, a handful of all people, we planned our first annual conference and I went to America for the National Speakers Association there, the American equivalent. And I met Les there and I showed him the brochure and I said, look, this is what we've done. This is our next, this is our first conference. He looked at it, he opened it up and he looked at me and he said, why is my name there? <laughs> you put his name there. <laughs> no, he said, no, he said, why isn't my name there? Oh, why isn't my name there? Oh my gosh. Yeah. I said, would you like to speak for us? Oh, I love Les Brown. I really do. I had the honor to meet him and speak to him a little bit on the clubhouse. And he kind of said yes to come on this podcast too. So we're still waiting for Les to have some schedule room in for coming on this podcast. But that's truly amazing. So you have written 13 books, right? And one has a very interesting title. That is The Man Who Gave Away His Lottery Win. Yes. Can you tell us a little bit more about the book? Yeah, it's about, it's written as a novel, as a kind of, fictional conversation between two people, but it's actually all about the way we communicate with each other. The, the format of it is, um, I, I wrote about an elderly man who had a lot of money and he noticed um, uh, a fellow sitting out there on the ground, even outside a railway station and just hoping that people would give him some money. So he walked up to this fellow and he said, uh, tell me the time. The fellow said, I haven't got a watch. So he pulled out the belt from his pocket, which is, there you are. Now we have one. <laughs> and then pulled out a 50 pound note from his other pocket. And he said, there you are. And he walked away. And the fellow sitting there thinking, that's quite remarkable. Yeah. So somebody else saw this happening. And on another stage, at another station, he saw the same thing happening again. So he followed this man. And he stopped and said, can you tell me what he says you're doing? Well, the says, okay, if you, have you got time for coffee? So they, they sat in a coffee bar and he said, look, 
I'm a retired businessman. I've got all the money I want. I won the lottery as well. And I I take care of everything I want. And I've got some spare cash. I thought I'd give it away. To whom shall I give it away? And I thought I would give it away to people who need it and who could use it and who could help them to get out of their situation. So in a small way, I'm giving you know, 50 pounds here and there, so on. Hoping that maybe along the way, I'll meet somebody very interesting. So this young man said, but what business are you in? Well, he said, actually, I'm in the communication business. She says, the young man says, well, actually, I'm in sales. We're both in the same business. And the older guy says, well, if you're interested, let me share my thinking on communication skills with you. Why don't you come down to my house in Surrey and we'll talk about it. So then they spent some time together talking about this and exchanged ideas on how we communicate with each other. And it's not simply about how we make presentations and so forth. It's really about how we connect with with one another, how we understand, how we use language in a way that sometimes achieves a result we hadn't expected, and all those kinds of things. So that kind of dialogue, the whole book is about a dialogue, really. And if you think about it, just as you and I are now talking about communication, we do this all the time with people we mix with in business or in our friends and our relations and so forth. Sometimes we say things that are misunderstood. Sometimes we say things that achieve an unexpectedly good result. And it's worth examining how that happens and how we can use that communication process, not just the language, but the way in which we connect with one another, the way in which we make friends, the way in which we avoid alienation. The purpose of communication is not simply to get across the message. It's to avoid being misunderstood. If you think about it, the majority of major problems in the world, historically, have been because of some misunderstanding. Exactly, yeah. So that is the purpose of that book. I love it. And you guys, you can grab it. You can see it in the show links. And there is also a one-minute checklist to identify your own strengths and weaknesses in presentation skills. So that's amazing. I just have one more question, Philip. What is the one question that nobody ever asks you? but you would love to answer. Gosh, that's a hard one. Okay. How can, I would like someone ask me, how can I discover what I'm saying about myself? How can I discover what I'm saying about myself? Okay. What would your answer be? (laughs) Oh, no, no. You think about it. You think about it. People think of the context of PR. People say, I don't do PR. And I say, you not do PR. Everything you do is PR. Mm-hmm. Now, think about a company, say a large corporation, where you, it's up, uh, not in the center of town somewhere, but car park. Where is a visitor's car park? If the visitor's car park is remote, visitors, when it's raining, have to walk in the rain from there to a reception, okay? That's one simple indication how much they have thought about their visitors. I want to see all companies with their visitor's car park right by reception so that Vista gets a good welcome straight away. I want to see everybody conduct themselves in a way that says, I want to be open to business with you. I want to connect with you. I want that everybody, individual business people, as well as companies, to say, everything that I do tells you I'm interested in you, not look how I, how great I am. It has to be so. I want, when people say, if they ever ask me that question, how can I discover 
what I'm saying about myself. You have to find a mirror. I don't mean just a literal mirror, although sometimes that helps as well. But you have to find out, you have to start paying attention to how people respond to you. If, for example, you find that you walk into a room and people don't sit and they sit, they don't approach you or don't sit beside you or something, you're communicating the wrong message somehow. If, on the other hand, you're finding that people come to you, but they are, they're, they're trying to take from you all the time, you're communicating also the wrong kind of message because you're, you're giving the impression that you're available to be taken advantage of and so on and so on. You have to start examining the way in which people respond to you. When you do that, first of all, observe, make a note of what's happening, how people are responding to you, and then start thinking about why that is so. And ask yourself, if I do certain things, can I change that? Can I change the typical response that I get? And try something different to change that response. And then find someone who, whom you trust and say, I'm concerned about this. Tell me, what do you think? And get that kind of input because you need to know, you need to know how you are coming across in your social life and in your business life. You need to know. Love that. What, what a strong finish. <laughs> Thank you so much, Philip. Guys, I hope you enjoyed it and I will see you next week to level up again. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Vault. Respect for showing up and creating your next stage of life and business. If you liked this episode, I invite you to dive deeper and stay. The S stands for subscribe and share. Make a screenshot right now and pay it forward and send this to five friends who can benefit from this value. The T stands for try and transform. Try the technique, at least until the next episode. The A stands for action. Action creates success. Don't stay a student when you have a code. You should try to open the vault. And finally, the Y stands for you. This is about the most valuable asset of the vault and life in general, the one and only authentic you. So if this was your code, please comment and help the vault grow. Hashtag unlocked, hashtag next level, hashtag dive deeper, and see you next week to level up again.